move to earn is a new segment in blockchain which is about so there blockchain gaming is taken off around the world um metaverse virtual worlds um blockchain-based gaming where you own the skins and the nfts you think of roblox and minecraft but instead of your kids or you spending money on these skins that you don't own actually you can't sell them you can't do anything it, with blockchain you can own those as digital assets and you can sell them in the open market and exchanges and the rest and so a lot of people are innovating around how can you use this blockchain technology to improve the gaming environment okay so you have people all around the world living potentially sedentary lives uh, engaging in virtual worlds traveling the world from their computer or you know playing you know uh video games or whatever and in the last year several people who embrace blockchain started thinking there must be a way to leverage gaming mechanics and blockchain to get people out of their seats and yep. moving and that's where the idea of move to earn came from welcome to the mobility innovators podcast Hello everyone, I'm so happy to welcome all listeners from around the world to the Mobility Innovators Podcast. I'm your host, Jaspal Singh. Mobility Innovator Podcast invites key innovators in the transportation and logistics sector to share their thoughts about the key changes in the sector, about their work, and what is their forecast for the future. This is our second podcast with Boyd Khan. He's an expert on blockchain and has recently launched two new initiatives, Wheelcoin, a move to one app, and Web3 on the Move podcast. Just to recap, Boyd is a CEO and co-founder of IMOP, a decentralized internet of mobility network. Since obtaining his PhD in strategy and entrepreneurship at University of Colorado in 2001, he spent the last two decades focused on accelerating the path to a low-carbon sustainable economy. This includes publishing three books and starting a handful of ventures in the smart city and sustainability arena. I'm so happy to welcome Boyd Khan, CEO and founder of IMOP. It's now time to listen and learn. Hello, Boyd. Thank you so much for joining us again on the show. I'm really looking forward to our conversation today. Thanks for having me. I mean, I feel uh, honored to be on the podcast two times in a row now, two times in a few months. Yeah, you are the first guest uh, who is repeated on this podcast. Wow. And there's a reason for that. <laughs> we know. <laughs> so uh, we recorded our first podcast three months back and uh, time flies. I didn't even realize like it's three months already. And uh, I think many things have changed over the period of time. I saw a new product launch. I saw a new funding round and I saw expansion uh, at IMOB. So do you want to share some key update uh, from IMOB? Yeah, I mean, I think when we spoke the first time, uh, we had very recently closed our most recent round. And that was tied to a very important sort of uh evolution or revolution in IMOB because when we were founded in 2018, we wanted to build IMOB as a blockchain-based decentralized mobility network. And we discovered we were four years too early and uh, of product market fit. So then we went back to more centralized classical way of trying to build a software company. And, you know, we have clients from that sort of web two world in Europe and in North America um, but we always wanted to go back to our roots and decentralize the whole architecture because we felt it was the right path for what we want to build. A global decentralized internet and mobility network is basically a public good and owned by the token holders around the world, not just a private company. Yeah. And so we decided to, to do that. And we've been on that path. And uh, 
I think since we last spoke, uh, one evolution is that we went through a lot of different blockchain uh, layer ones and twos to try to figure out what was the right underlying blockchain to build our solution on. And we actually discovered that Cosmos was the best fit. In fact, one of the founders of Cosmos is based in Toronto, I believe, Ethan, uh, Ethan uh, Buckman, okay. really visionary guy. Um, and, and Cosmos are really cool um, blockchain architecture. So we're building that. And then, um, you know, we're continuing to build out that decentralized network. And then, as you know, uh, the product launch you're referring to is um, we we had this bug in us for a while that, you know, we I think when we spoke, we may have already been we were talking about the metaverse and NFTs at that time. Yeah. And we still have that initiative underway. Uh, with our first client, Voiling Airlines, as part of that. Yeah. Uh, we won't go into details on that. But then um, we've been tracking the move to earn uh, segment of blockchain. And probably a lot of your listeners are not that familiar with move to earn. But move to earn is, and I know I'm probably um, interrupting what you usually do, because you always like to start your podcast with definitions of what things are that were discussed. But I'm yep. going to do it this time. I'm taking the <laughs> words from your mouth. Um, move to earn is a new segment in blockchain, which is about so there, blockchain gaming is taken off around the world, um, metaverse, virtual worlds, um, yeah, blockchain-based gaming where you own the skins and the NFTs. You think of Roblox and Minecraft, but instead of your kids or you spending money on these skins that you don't own, actually, you can't sell them. You can't do anything. It, with blockchain, you can own those as digital assets and you can sell them in the open market and exchanges and the rest. And so a lot of people are innovating around how can you use this blockchain technology to improve the gaming environment. Okay, so you have people all around the world living potentially sedentary lives, uh, engaging in virtual worlds, traveling the world from their computer, or, you know, playing, you know, uh, video games or whatever. And in the last year, several people who embrace blockchain started thinking there must be a way to leverage gaming mechanics and blockchain to get people out of their seats and yep. moving. And that's where the idea of move to earn came from. Uh, there's a few projects, GenoPets, uh, StepIn, um, Sweatcoin, that basically you download the app and the app tracks your movements. Primarily walking is the main thing. The, the, most of the move to earn games are either walking, running, or some kind of like Fitbit kind of thing that tracks your exercise routine. And you re get rewarded with tokens. Um, you acquire NFTs and the more NFTs you have of certain level allows you to earn more of the token. And yeah. that token can then be uh, sold in an exchange in a public exchange, or you can exchange those tokens for other things like inside the game. Okay. So that's what's happening with move to earn right now, but no one's launched a move to earn game, leveraging blockchain and gaming mechanics to get people to move in green mobility or yeah, yeah in green mobility, I will say, cause that's our focus. So what we're launching is a product called Wheelcoin. Uh, we accelerated the launch because we had an overwhelming demand. So we, we were saying by the end of the beta, we wanted to have 5,000 beta users to, to learn from their behavior. And it's global from day one. So you could be in Mumbai or in, in uh, Mozambique or in Singapore or in Barcelona, doesn't matter. You can download this app. The app detects your movement. 
leveraging the hardware from your phone, things like your, your GPS, your accelerometer, how the phone is moved, and it can pretty accurately detect, are you walking? Are you on a bike? Are you on a train? Are you in public transit? Are you in a car or are you in a plane? Those are the things it can detect automatically. So once you've downloaded and onboarded yourself to the app, you don't actually have to open the app for it to track your movement. You just have to authorize the app to have access to your GPS and everything else. And just by living your day in a greener way, you, you accrue wheel coins, which we like to think of as like uh, air miles for, um, for green mobility. So yeah. you basically earn this wheel coin that you can then exchange for discounts on green mobility services. Yes, it will be available in a token exchange, like in a crypto exchange, you can on a decentralized exchange and others where you can actually sell your wheel coins you've earned. Um, you can convert them to other things inside the game and all the rest of it. So um, we were going to launch on September 15th, but we actually, and we were going to do a three month beta with the goal of getting to 3000 by the end of the three month beta. We got to 5,000 in like 10 days, even though we wow. didn't spend any money on marketing, just people started hearing about it. And they are like, wait, this is cool. I get paid. I get paid tokens to move green. I, I, I want I want that. So um, we actually have like a wait list now, people who want to get in it. So we we're accelerating. We've already sent the app to the app store and it goes live before the end of this week. So uh, the, the week we're recording. So by the time this comes out, it's probably already out in the app store. Yeah. Oh, that's great. Uh, no, I, in fact, I was about to ask you how to register, but you already told it's, uh, it's already full and one need to wait now. And I think this play to earn app concept, which like you mentioned, started with, with this web three and blockchain space where the gaming industry was paying people to, to earn. And to be honest, I don't, I don't really like that concept too much because uh, you were giving money to people or giving some incentive to people sit in front of computer. What I what I really like about Wheelcoin is that you're actually telling people to have a good behavior and you will be rewarded. So good behavior is moving to this green mobility, uh, leaving your car. And uh, like you mentioned, you will track through their extrometer and different devices. I, I, I know like Google Map do that. Like they tell me how many kilometers I travel by bus or by car or by plane and by walk. And you can reward on based on that. So my next question is because what... What you always try to do is you try to launch a new category in itself. And I think what you just mentioned, the wheel coin is again, creating a new category of uh, paying user to use green mobility uh, using blockchain technology. There is no other app. There are, there are different apps which are encouraging walking behavior, gaming behavior, but there is no other app like this. And idea for move to earn model is that we can use a natural movement to earn money. And using this nudge theory, you are nudging people to move forward with the good behavior. Exactly. Yeah. And, and with the wheel coin app, you are also trying to influence people behavior. Like you mentioned that you will reward user movement while walking on public transit rail and bike. You will not reward user who are traveling in a car or a plane. So you don't want to reward that, uh, that kind of a behavior. So my question is, do you think that the move to earn will emerge as a concept to change people travel pattern? Or is it first step toward a personal carbon credit reward system? Because that's one of the area I'm very fascinated about how to reward people for saving carbon credit. Yeah, that's really interesting because I think I, I would rather not say it's either or and say it's a bit of both, really. Um, in fact, the way we've designed it is intended to be both. It's it's a nudging, it's a, a nudging 
component for your listeners, many of whom are familiar with mobility as a service, MOS. Um, in yep. MOS, there's been a long history of discussing the four levels of MOS, which is like, you know, the entry level is nothing, that everything's fragmented. You have to find your own different, download the apps and nothing's connected. The second layer, the level one, they call it, is like you have some information about what journeys are out there, uh, what yep. different services you might connect, but you can't actually do it in the app. Level two is you can actually book the services in the app. So you have access to like this marketplace. And that's what we've been building IMOB for a while. Level three is sort of like, you know, the classic Moss global solution around uh, bundling services and allowing people to have a subscription. And yeah. level four, no one's really achieved is um, embedding societal incentives inside to a Moss app. The funny thing is, and I'm writing a post right now, it'll come out probably tomorrow is that we've been playing in the Moss world because the clients we have, rail operators and transit agencies and airlines and others are interested in sort of a Moss kind of solution. Yeah. But actually, Wheelcoin is doing, we're, we're turning the pyramid upside down. With Wheelcoin, yeah. we're starting with number four, the societal incentives and not doing the others yet. And... I've been thinking about this a lot lately, as even more so after you, some of your listeners listeners may have seen there's some news about Moss Global really struggling financially oh, yeah. right now. And, you know, they've been, you know, the pioneer of Moss for forever. They were incorporated in 2015 or so. Um, is that maybe we've had it all wrong in a way, like maybe trying to do all that heavy lifting of hyper local deep integration of all these mobility services, maybe trying to get all these players who don't like to, who don't like each other to also agree to be bundled together in a subscription. And that all that had to happen before we could even try to get to level four incentives. Well, you, you kind of alluded to this about me liking to take on challenges that people haven't done yet, but like, you know, no one's done the level four yet. And yeah. yet level four is the most important thing. If we're going to help the planet and society, you know, move fast enough. We're all worried about climate change right now. This summer made it really like painfully obvious to people oh, yeah. who try to deny it. So why do we have to do all that hard stuff first? Why not gamify and make it fun to go green without like having to get everyone to agree in a bun, be bundled together in every city and every part of the world. Why not launch a global app from day one that encourages green behavior? And as you said, and, and I'll get to the second part of your question right now, because you said, could this be used as a personal carbon credit? And it definitely could, because you know how we've designed the wheel coin? One kilogram of avoided emission is equal to one, one wheel coin. So oh. we're not obfuscating the metrics somehow that you can earn in different ways and we decide on our own how many points you get how many coins no 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 one coin is one kilogram so 970 coins is a ton of co2 avoided we believe in the future there will be a market voluntary offsets or otherwise where companies say airlines yeah airlines right now what they do is they buy offsets from you know reforestation projects somewhere which is fine but you know if you're in the transport industry why not do something that's fun and engages users in going green in your own industry and in mobility and transport um so they could maybe buy some of their offsets from the users themselves who have a record of how many wheel coins they've earned and it's 
directly one-to-one to how many kilograms they avoided in emissions. So I think it could be both. And I'm excited about both. No, that's great. Uh, I, I agree with you. You know, when you have this verified uh, carbon credit offset, why not buy from the user? And in fact, they can track user movement. How did they travel from their home? And how did they travel to the destination? And I remember I saw a little bit of sneak view of the high IMOB work. And it's quite interesting that how you can build your journey around your air travel. Like how do you start from your home? How do you reach the airport at the destination and reach to your hotel or office and whatever. And with this uh, wheel coin, you can, you can earn it. So it will be quite interesting to see how people will they change their behavior if you reward them straight away. And I like your model of this reversing the pyramid, like start with the incentive of using all kind of a connected mode rather than start with the single mode and then try to bring all the player together, which is becoming like an impossible task right now. <laughs> and, it's a and challenge. We, it's a challenge. And I remember three years back, there was a lot of hype about uh, mass and everybody was predicting that uh, there will be mass and everything else will be replaced. But but we are still far, far away. Now, you mentioned about mass and actually that's my next question is, uh, what's your plan to integrate Wheelcoin into the IMOP uh, mobility as a service in the future? I'm curious to know why you think that the reward feature will be a game changer for mass app. I, I mean, you mentioned about this pyramid thing, but why you think it will be a game changer and uh, probably there'll be more acceptability for mass app rather than what we are seeing now. And my second question is how city or public transport operator can get benefit out of this, because that's a key question. They will be the one who need to be part of this whole ecosystem. So can these agencies also earn carbon credit from the rider's behavior? And that's what like Tesla is doing by selling electric car. They are earning more money from actually Tesla users. Yeah, those are some interesting interconnected questions. Um, so yeah, the first question around uh, Moss and Wheelcoin is, as you said, we're inversing the pyramid, but we're not ending on number four. We're starting on number four. So we're starting on the incentives. Our ambition is to grow a global user base in markets where we already have mobility supply because we still use our mobility network and deploy it with our enterprise customers. We have customers in the US and Europe and, and a few more coming. And when we get these big demand, we call them demand uh, partners. So like an airline, a rail operator becomes a demand partner for the mobility network. So they want mobility services so that their passengers can travel door to door. So when we get a big client like that, so for example, in the US, we have Brightline Trains. In UK, we have London Northeastern Rail. These are really big, move millions of people. That allows us to actually have the incentive we need to encourage the mobility supply to connect to the IMOB network. So the scooter companies, the taxi companies, we have companies like Bolt and Tier and Voy and Via from New York and many other big companies have connected to our platform specifically because we have these big partners yeah. that move millions of people and they want to optimize their fleet utility and connect them to that. Okay, so that's working. So when we have those services already in the network, let's say London, because we're deploying with London Northeastern Rail on October 1st, roughly October 1st. Um, so we have several services already integrated into the platform there. Well, we also have many people using Wheelcoin that are going to be using Wheelcoin when it goes live in a few days that are living in London or the UK. Yeah. Well, 
as we get enough users in Wheelcoin to justify it, we can start to insert the mobility network that we've built in the UK inside the Wheelcoin. So what we'll be doing is like on a, a per region basis, deploying the mobility network when it makes sense. Whether if we already have the network or like, you know, surprising to me, the highest number of people who signed up for the Wheelcoin Take a guess what city they're from. Let's see. You're, you know the world so well and mobility <laughs> patterns. Take a guess. Do you want any uh, hints? Uh, is it from Asia? Yes. Is it uh, from India? I mean, there are a lot of people. Or... No, India is our third high. As a country, it's, I think, our third highest sign. Third highest. So you're, okay, you're not so, far on that. Okay. So probably Singapore or Malaysia, something like that. Tokyo. Tokyo. Ah, Interesting, right? Or the very yeah. high volume of public transit use. So there'll be a lot oh, yeah. of earning, a lot of earning coming from Tokyo. So, you know, let's say we don't have an enterprise client in Japan. And so we haven't actually deployed the mobility network there. But what if we get 50,000, 100,000 people in and around Tokyo using Wheelcoin? That's a big enough demand driver. Right to go knock on the doors of the EV car sharing fleet and the taxi fleets and the scooter companies say, hey, we've got all these really green consumers who get rewarded for using your own services anyway. Um, how about you connect your service? And what if we offer, can, will you be willing to take the, the, the wheel coin as a partial discount from users to sort of support their choice to go green with you? I will say on that note, we just had uh, our first partner join. It's a e-bike sharing subscription service. So okay. you instead of buying a, a like a you know multi-thousand euro electric bike, you can pay for a monthly subscription to it. And they were the first company we reached out to say, "Hey, would you be interested in accepting Wheelcoin as a discount for our community?" And it was a yes within like. 80 seconds. And then mm. it's just a question of, of, of reaching agreement on which we have now on exactly how much discount will be offered and how many wheel coins do they have to present to actually get that discount. So I think it's already sort of being validated with the community in the market that this makes so much sense to bring that green community of mobility users together with mobility providers, which goes to your next question around the most arguably the most important mobility provider are the transit agencies and transit yep. operators and what's their role in all of this. And I don't, I mean, I, I, to say, I don't know is kind of saying I haven't thought about it all and that's not true, but I, we haven't spoken to any yet. Mm -hmm. um, partially because it, you know, better than I do with all the work you've been doing the last decade or two um, it's slow going to try to talk to a, transit agency to consider embracing a blockchain-based wheel coin loyalty program that has NFTs, you know, try putting my hat on and, yeah. <laughs> and, and going to a Toronto transit agency or whoever and pitch it to them. And you know, it's going to take you six months to get yeah. somebody to even like, well, maybe not you, cause you probably know them all and they'll pick up the phone right away. But if I do and they don't know me, then yeah. it's going to be, we don't have patience for that. I mean, mm -hmm. our enterprise business is slow, right? Like, you know, you get to get a rail customer to agree to use our technology and then to deploy it, it's slow. And that's one of the reasons we came up with Wheelcoin is we, the world can't wait this long. We got to just start making change happen, especially around climate change and inclusive mobility, which is really important too. Yeah. Uh, 
So Wheelcoin is really like about getting out, moving fast, being agile. And, you know, once we get enough users in different communities, it'll be easier to have conversations with transit agencies. And one thing on that that I think is fascinating, and this goes to something you and I were talking about offline, that I've discovered surprisingly to me that there are no existing community groups worldwide of people who care about this stuff as a collective. Yeah. We know billions of people around the world care about transit and care about green mobility and care about climate change. It's not, not enough people care about it. It's like most of the world cares about it. The problem is there's no way to reach that audience. And we're hoping uh, Wheelcoin can be part of it. And one of, the, one of the reasons I bring that up right now is to a point you made off, off air around, you know, part of the reason that probably doesn't exist is how many aspects of transport are very local in nature. Yeah. And you bring up transit agencies and how things are, uh, you know, uh, if, if, if a bus is uh, the schedule's off or whatever, that's not something somebody in Tokyo needs to know about if it's in Toronto. Some of our community, and this was really interesting to me. So the way our algorithms work, we yeah. create a standard like rough estimate emissions per kilogram for different modes of mobility. So bike, walk, train, public transit. And it's not realistic, especially if you're being agile, to try to customize this all around the world for every oh, yeah. use case, right? So we had some of our users say, well, how do you know, like, if I'm in Mumbai or I'm in, I don't know, in Curitiba, Brazil, how do you know how many emissions, like, our transit system has, and are you counting for that? And I said, to begin with, no, we're being agile, we're launching, we're using a, like a global standard for public transit emissions for fleets. But some of our communities said, you know, as this grows, we'd like this to be more optimized so that, you know, Wheelcoin reflects the actual emissions of the transit fleet in different cities around the world. And so if you mm. live in a city that's got a low performing fleet, then you're gonna reduce, receive fewer Wheelcoins for your journey. And you know what I thought about that inspired me is like the Wheelcoin community in Curitiba. Well, that's a bad example because they're very green there. But in another yeah. city where they're not super green with their mobility in their in their fleet, the community could start to pressure the transit agencies to ask them to modernize their fleet because they're contaminating the city and their emissions are not like you know, you could have a ranking of the, the emissions of the transit emissions. fleet in Latin America. And, you know, why is our city 94th? Why aren't we in the top 10, you know, and what would it take to get there? And you get like public interest in driving that because the people want to earn more wheel coin yeah. and they, they're competitive. Like we're going to have uh, leaderboards. Right. And so you could be like a leader in, I don't know, let's say um, uh, Santiago, Chile. And you uh, had the greenest mobility pattern for the month of May. Awesome. Yeah. And you want to see how does your, your mobility patterns compare to the best of the Latin American continent? So you have the best leaderboard in Colombia and Chile and Brazil. And, and the guy from Santiago says, why did this lady in, in Curitiba get so many more wheel coins for using public transit? She actually used and less public transit than I did. Oh, 
the Curitiba fleet emissions are like one third the fleet emissions of Santiago. And that's why, I mean, oh, that's not good. We need to organize and get our transit agency to modernize. You know, you never know where this could go. That's very ambitious. But I, I would like to believe that collectively the community could collaborate on things like this in the future. I mean, it will be very interesting data set as well. Like you mentioned, some of the city they have these electric fleet or electric buses or some of the city are using Euro 6 or Euro 5 and some of the cities are still at Euro 2. And so basically you can create kind of a global heat map and showing even if it's public transport, but it's not that green, it should be. So it can create some kind of advocacy tool for, exactly. for this user group to push and ask uh, the city to change. And I also love your strategy because I, I work with Uber. So Uber, Uber followed the strategy. They didn't knock at the door of policymaker or licensing authority to start with because they know it's it was it was hard too task slow. to do. Yeah. Too slow. So what they did, they they made the user base and they had a lot of user base. And then their user became their advocate. So I I and this is a strategy, the same strategy they follow world over. In Dubai, they launch. And uh, they didn't go to RTA or any other transport authority. They just start in Dubai. They have a user base. Then they got like millions of user, not millions, like uh, hundreds of thousands of user. And then RTA said like, okay, we cannot ban them because people are <laughs> using it. So, so people I, want it now. <laughs> exactly. So I, I love your strategy of following that footprint of, uh, you know, not going to transit agencies in first step because It'll be hard, but once you have a strong user base, which are using those system and network, and they become ambassador of Bitcoin and they can go to the transit authority and say, hey, we are using this. Why don't you reward us or why don't you become connected system so you can also claim some money out of it or we can also claim. So so love your strategy. Exactly. And, and I see a lot of uh, similarity with Uber. What were you doing? Now, you mentioned... Uh, during this move to earn app thing or this play to earn app thing, the biggest challenge is that uh, these app keep collecting data silently. Uh, when user will walk, user will go from one point to another. So the app will keep collecting the data about uh, their journey, about their pattern, what time they are leaving, what time they are going. This also raised some question in people's mind about the data privacy because people mm -hmm. are concerned about the data privacy, especially uh, these days uh, when there is a lot of discussion on this data privacy. How do you address this data privacy issue with the real coin? Yeah, that's important. I mean, first of all, the users, when they onboard themselves to the app, they have to authorize the app to use this data for, for the purpose of uh, providing the rewards. You know, this is true for all the move to earn apps, right? So all of them are doing this. They're all gathering the data from their mobility patterns of the users. In their case, they're using the walking and the running. In our case, we're using more. Um, I do agree with you that there's a risk there and a concern there. I think, um, you know, what's interesting about our model is we don't even have to know who the user is. They, they can set up a profile. It can be an anonymous. They can have a... Uh, avatar, we don't care. We don't need to yeah. know who they are. Um, and there isn't necessarily even a financial transaction between them, at least in the beginning. Um, and this is kind of important too, because some move to earn games have a, a pay to play model where the only yeah. way you can actually use the service is to buy an NFT to start. Yeah. And, and then it's depending on the quality of your NFT affects how much you can earn. We uh, believe you have to have a free-to-play model where to make it more inclusive so anyone can join. 
there's not that barrier around, oh, I got to pay a hundred bucks or something for an NFT. Um, and so I'm bringing that up because uh, we don't have to have user data, really. Yeah. We just need to have, um, they need to set up a wallet and not in the beginning because we're in a beta. So we're not doing it in the beta, but after the beta, they'll need a wallet that allows us to, the crypto wallet, right? That awesome. allows us to transfer uh, NFTs and transfer a wheel coin, which is a token. Um, to a wallet that they will have in the app that allows them to then sell the tokens or use them for other things. Uh, so the, the short story is we don't have to have the user data that we don't even have to know their name. We don't have to know anything about where they live. Uh, and of course, in our case, it has nothing to do with our interest in what we're doing with them. We're trying to encourage greener mobility. We're not trying yep. to like leverage their data for some other business model. We're not trying to sell advertisements based on, you know, your travel patterns or something. That's great. No, I, I love your honesty about this. Like, um, because some of the, the founder will say like, oh, there is no data privacy thing and nothing to worry, but you are upfront and saying, okay, there are some concern, but you are addressing those concerns. Like you don't want to know the real identity of the user, which is, you have to do in other cases because you have to have link your bank account and all those kinds exactly. of financial transactions. So you are safeguarding user. In fact, Google map, uh, they, they keep track of my data. So every Sunday I go uh, for groceries. So they, they tell me in advance, like, okay, you need to go grocery at this time and uh, there will be a traffic condition. Wow. Sometimes it's good, but at the same time you feel like, oh, so they know more than me like what time I need to leave and what time I need to go. So thanks does, for, thanks for sharing that. Does Google uh, remind you that you, you, you don't have any more zucchini in your house or they don't know that much about <laughs> not you yet, yet. Not yet, but I think uh, that's the second part when it'll be connected with my fridge and uh, <laughs> <laughs> then it it's will coming. Be, it's coming. It's coming. You know, like Amazon bought this, uh, uh, cleaning robots. So, so one of the idea is that they want to collect a lot of data about people housing and all those kind of stuff. So there are a lot of concern. Uh, now you are working in this web three and blockchain space for quite some time, and you must have noticed this big downfall in funding activity in all sector, especially the blockchain and web three. And there is this funding winter is coming. I, I would say you, you are on the right path because you raise your fund before this things started kicking, starting in and all, but, uh, my question is why you still bullish about blockchain and Web3 after this funding slowdown? And what is your message to the founder who are building their startup in this space? Should they wait for some more time or should they pivot? What is your idea uh, during this period now? Yeah, I mean, I think the whole world's economy is a bit bearish right now, obviously, post-COVID, supply chain issues, the war... Uh, you could go on and on about the reasons for it, but, um, you know, the world is struggling and it's true that funding, I wouldn't really say it's dried up in crypto. It's, there's a lot of uh, large venture funds that in the last year closed round of funds of 500 million to a billion or more. Oh, yeah. um, and so they have what we call in the venture world, dry powder. They have money to, to potentially deploy. Now, you do tend to find that uh, venture funds in these kinds of economies tend to want to hold their funding for their portfolio company, the companies they already have. So they'd rather yeah. like 
help their own companies survive and invest in new ones. Um, so that is a risk that they sort of shift more of their deployment into their existing uh, portfolio. Um, definitely would not advise pivoting. I think, I mean, going to your question around around blockchain, I'm, I'm extremely bullish on the future of blockchain. I think people who are paying very close attention to sort of evolution of software, I think even in our first podcast, I mentioned to you that you know, I'm, I'm one of, I don't know, probably a million people, I don't know, but not that many who's actually been directly involved in some way in three, the three major disruptive sort of software related uh, yeah. transformations of the past 15, 20 years. So you had, um, you know, the dot coms, and I mentioned, I think in your podcast, in the dot com, yeah, I got really excited that. about it, the end of the 90s. And I got my PhD in, in entrepreneurship at University of Colorado, and my dissertation was on dot-coms and what influences their valuation. Fast forward, my third company I ever started was a company called Third Whale out of Vancouver, and it was a green uh, mobility app company. We were the first company in the world to build a, mobil a mo mobility apps for green consumers in 2009. Yeah. And now blockchain. So you had web mobile and blockchain these are absolutely disruptive paradigms that have that the, at least the first two transformed everything we we know about how to live our lives practically and blockchain i think i think blockchain will end up being more transformational in a lot of ways than the other two it's it's kind of hard to it's, it's kind of hard to do it that way because like blockchain is like is like a new version of the internet as well right so yeah. it's like it's building on web and mobile innovation to actually transform those industries and basically every industry. And that's, that's for me, why I think it's maybe even in some ways bigger in the sense, for example, than the mobile, like blockchain goes into mobile, uh, Wheelcoin is mobile, uh, you know, lots of mobile apps are using uh, web three technologies. Okay, fair enough. But like blockchain is transforming everything, supply yeah. chains, banking, um, climate change and tracking of carbon offsets, um, uh, de decentralized finance, um, uh, consumer experiences around uh, social media, yeah. um, you know, artists, musicians oh, yeah. using NFTs to, as a way to basically take back power over the record labels. It's a decentralizing force that gives power to the people and help solve human coordination problems at scale. And we've really never seen anything in the history of the world that could do what blockchain can do across every kind of aspect of life, real estate, fractionalized real estate. Oh, yeah. I mean, you can't really think of an industry that's not affected by or won't be affected by, by uh, blockchain. So I'm very bullish on it. I would definitely not advocate founders pivot. I think blockchain is, is is not just here to stay. It's going to be the transform the number one transformative technology or, or that we've seen in the last ten or fifteen years. Um, so I would say, like a lot of people like to say, this is in the bear market. It's time to build. So focus on building something you're passionate about, and hopefully by the time you're you know ready, you know the the market's ready as well, and you'll be able to you know monetize it or or generate uh, investment. No, I, I love your last line about like, this is a beer market, so take time to build. And when it's be bullish, then you can start selling it. It's like in Europe during winter, 
you stay in house you stay indoor and you build uh, and then once it's a summer time you come out and and start selling your stuff and, and exactly. I'm, i'm i'm also equally bullish about blockchain and especially use in mobility because i see one of the sector in mobility is bringing this trust and bringing this connection which is important a uh, lot of people must have read that google is came out as one of the biggest investor in blockchain technology in couple of year last blockrock recently tie up with coinbase for providing services to institutional buyers so so there is acceptability uh, of this whole ecosystem and i agree with you is just focus on building the product building something which is useful not not like a bore app and uh, those kind of stuff but uh, making having some real use case uh, so i love your love your answer now what one change have done over the last 3 months is you also launch a new podcast which is web3 on the move and i love uh, the the idea because you are doing what i was educating is how to bring blockchain and uh, crypto in the mobility sector do you want to share a little more about your podcast and what topic you are covering in that yeah sure thanks for asking and uh, uh your listeners might find out even more soon because you're going to be on the other side of the microphone oh, yeah. <laughs> uh, pretty soon as well um so web3 on the move i've been listening to podcasts mostly in blockchain for the past couple of years i don't know if any you or your listeners are familiar with the concept of like if you want to be an expert in anything you have to spend 10,000 hours doing it oh, yeah, and then yeah, you become I know an expert I'm not claiming to be an expert uh host of a podcast because I'm definitely not but I'm definitely an expert listener of podcasts. If you measure expertise by how many hours you listen because I literally listen to 10 hours or more a week of blockchain podcasts. Um so I I listen on my commute. My commute one way is almost an hour. My bike to my train to my walk to the office is an hour. Yeah. Um so I do that both ways when I walk to lunch if I'm not going with colleagues. um when i walk my dog i mountain bike every weekend on saturday and sunday i used to listen to music a couple of years ago i switched entirely to blockchain my wife thinks i'm insane she's like <laughs> even when you're on your bike you're trying to learn like can't you just like shut off your brain for like a minute and just like yeah. enjoy the outdoors outdoors and listen to music but uh so i've been listening to blockchain podcasts for a long time and uh and i learn so much every day on on the podcast i listen to but I I never heard one that was focused on on what I wanted somebody to focus on and I kept feeling there was a gap in the market that somebody had to fill because I wanted to hear more conversations about these topics so no one did it so I was going to do it so um web3 on the move has three interlocking topics uh blockchain and mobility move to earn so the use of blockchain for mobility and getting people outside and moving and the third one is blockchain and and climate change hmm. uh because for me they're all interrelated and they all relate to everything that I've been working on in blockchain for many years and those three topics independently don't have a lot of coverage um yeah blockchain and mobility i don't think there is a podcast except for mine that i'm aware of um move to earn there's no podcast about move to earn but there are podcasts a from specific projects in move to yeah. earn that are focused on their project like stepen has a community pro podcast i listen to a lot that is like people from the community talking about the latest in the stepen move to yeah. earn game and all the rest but there isn't one that like talks more broadly about the industry looks at the different projects and all the rest and then blockchain and climate change that's the one yeah. the closest 
there's one called green pill that I like a lot. Okay. That is uh, actually under the bankless umbrella. And it's uh, the host is um, from um, Gitcoin. He's the founder of Gitcoin, Kevin Awaki. And he does talk a lot about, well, the theme of the podcast is regenerative crypto economics. So mm. how can, how can token economics be applied to create regenerative societies, regenerative economies, regenerative planet? Um, so he does have a lot of climate related topics in there. Um, there's also a crypto altruist podcast. Uh, I think they're out of Canada as well. And they also have a focus on like crypto for good, which okay. has some overlap in those things. So, so yeah, those are the three topics we're covering. I have this thing that I'm trying and it's an experiment really once many years ago, I was a speaker of TEDx and they, you know, they have this policy of, you can't speak more than 18 minutes. Yeah. Um, because that's like the concentration time of people. I don't know. They have a, they have science behind why they say 18 minutes is the maximum you can speak on stage. Um, so I'm trying to hold myself to 18 minutes when I'm doing my own podcast without interviews. Yeah. So I do a blend of interviewing and then my own content content. Um, I've, I've done two shows on my own without interviews and I haven't hit the 18 minutes, unfortunately, but both of them were around 22 minutes. So that's, you know, it's not too far off. I was yeah. getting close. And then my, uh, when I interview someone, my goal is to not go beyond 36 minutes. So the idea yeah. is 18, 18 combined, the two of us can spend 36 minutes to chat. So that's basically the theme of the podcast and the frequency is roughly once a week. And you will be the next uh, guest on the podcast. Ah, thank you. It's my my pleasure and uh, you know honor for me to be joining this because the concept, like you mentioned, and that's what I tell in transit space is how to create more awareness uh, about blockchain. And one of the idea I loved last time you mentioned, I remember very clearly, is to learn and educate people to to know more about it, not to sell, not to tell them that they should do this or do that, but tell them like how they can learn more about this concept. How can they, they see the use cases and potential and benefit of it. And that's what I did uh, so far now is not to tell people like this is the only solution, but encourage them to learn. So I think your podcast will definitely help and would love to promote uh, to, to mobility innovation community and, and other places, because I think, that's the first step they should take is learn about this because blockchain is a big hype. A lot of people think it's just all about crypto and all, but uh, they forget the real technology, the underlying technology, which lies behind it. So thank you. Thank you, Boyd. And uh, we will, we would love to share my experience now being on the other side. Uh, exactly. of the game. Now you remember we had this rapid fire question round and we already did with it. So I don't want to repeat the same thing, but, uh, but then I thought you have so much of experience and knowledge. Why don't we use this time to have a new set of questions for you? So you will be again, the first guest who will be addressing these kind of questions on this. Oh, podcast. so I had no time to prepare for this exam. <laughs> that's not fair. Well, that's the, that's the fun of it. So again, I'll ask five questions and you just need to answer them quickly. Whenever you're ready, I'll just then kick off. Let's go. Okay. So my first question is what keep you awake at the night? Uh, work constantly blockchain, uh, wheel coin. I am um, part of what I mentioned before my wife saying that my brain never turns off. Unfortunately, when I'm sleeping, I'm still processing ideas and thoughts from the day. 
and what I want to do the next day. Uh, it's a curse, I think, because it does affect my sleep, but uh, I do love what I do. Yeah, but if you if you do what you love to do, I think it's it's kind of become like a part of your life. So it's part of your soul. So exactly. you can never leave it away. Uh, now, my second question is, uh, what is the best advice you ever got, either a personal or professional? Hmm. I don't even remember who gave me this advice the very first time, but it was definitely um, find something you love and dedicate your life to that and don't get caught up in what career might make you more money or whatever else. Find what you're most passionate about and dedicate to that. And I try to share that with my, my, my especially my older son, he's 18 now and you know, he always stresses about, he doesn't know what he wants to do his next 10 years of his life. I'm like, nobody knows what they want to do for the next 10 years. Don't worry. You're not alone. <laughs> but, but I, 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 what I've conveyed with him and this is part of that same logic. And I don't remember where I learned this from, but like having a five-year North star. So yeah. where would I like to be five years from now? Do I think I want to be five years from now? It's okay if I deviate from that, but if I don't have a North star, I'm just wandering and I'm trying to look at the stars to figure out where I am. But if I think if I can try to find a way, a place, I think I want to be in five years, then I have a direction and I can move in that direction. And if I change along that five years, so what I create a new five-year North star. And I'm quite sure that if I dedicated myself for that 2.3 years of my life, to a North star that's no longer my North star. I'm sure that was productive use of my time that yeah. will benefit me in my new North star. So don't get hung up on the long term, but, but don't focus on tomorrow only. You got to have like a, a midterm horizon Something. you're striving for and dedicate to be the best that you can be at that thing that you want to be in five years and be open to pivoting and moving your trajectory of your North star. If, if some new information comes in. Well, that's a, that's a great advice. In fact, I, I follow that is like, you never know where will you be 10 years later. And if I look back uh, when I was in 2010, I never thought I'd be here uh, in 10 year time. So it's, it's hard to project the future. What you can do is have a bigger goal and just go for it. Exactly. Now, third question is what one thing do you wish you should have learned early? I know you're not that old, but still. Oh, yes, I am. <laughs> I'm plenty old. Uh, what would I have liked to have learned earlier in life? And it took me a while to learn it. Um, well, that's a tricky one. Because um, I'm thinking about a lot of things I've learned, but I'm trying to think about like if it was one thing that I've learned that I wish I would have known earlier. Yeah. I, for some reason, I'm going to something around. It kind of, it's like, it's almost like calling me a hypocrite by saying this, but it's like, I was an academic off and on for 20 years. And it took me, so I got my PhD in entrepreneurship in 2001. And it wasn't until I was like, I was teaching entrepreneurship at business schools. Yeah. in Spain and Canada and other places, Costa Rica. And then 
like four years into it, I'm like, you know what? What's weird? I've never been an entrepreneur. Yeah. And it's weird that I'm teaching people to be an entrepreneur based on my PhD, which is like anybody who's done a PhD knows you never learn anything practical in a PhD. Like you're not learning how to be an entrepreneur in a, in a PhD program. That's just not happening. Yeah. <laughs> so I guess, I guess it's kind of similar to answer your question, but I like, I kind of wish I would have, would have tried that earlier. It took me yeah. like four years in to figure out that, you know what, I should have been an entrepreneur to be teaching it. And I always say, like, I feel really bad for the, my students I had in the first three or four years of my journey after my program, because I didn't know what I was talking about and I'm teaching them how to start a company. Um, so I guess you know, tied to that, I wish maybe I would have like given in to my entrepreneurial bug eat faster. And, and not given up, like I've had times when like, I've had an exit or a company, we had to close it down. And then I like retreated from entrepreneurship for a couple of years, because it's like, oh, it's too hard. But now in retrospect, I think I I would wish I would have just kept going with my entrepreneurial tendencies, because that's what I most enjoy. I I actually love your answer, because uh, uh, I was thinking, like, by doing a PhD in entrepreneurship, you will learn learn that much but just by launching something or being an entrepreneur you will kind of do the phd in the parallel so it's actually a reverse process so launch something and then you'll be completing your phd <laughs> it is so funny you say that because i've said that many times that i feel like i got a second phd in entrepreneurship once i started my own companies because then i actually <laughs> learned what it really was to be an entrepreneur it was nothing that i thought it was so yeah so you're totally right about that you read my mind yeah see <laughs> we are aligned so my next question, which is also something similar uh, to entrepreneurship, and what advice would you give to a young entrepreneur on how best to start? Hmm. I think the first thing I would say is just start. Um, don't overthink it. Embrace sort of agile. Embrace lean startup. Don't overthink and overplan things. Uh, be prepared to make a lot of mistakes. Yeah. Be open-minded, but also have a conviction. Like if you have conviction and you you're, you you pretty much know there's an opportunity here and you know you're on the right track, don't give in so easily to people who are just going to try to cut you down and convince you that it won't ever work because that, you know, I, I used to love using this example. I think it was Fred Smith, the guy who founded FedEx. He supposedly, yeah. this is the rumor that he got a like a C on his business plan. He submitted for FedEx in his, uh, I think it was at Yale for his MBA right. or something like that like 40 years ago, whenever it was, oh, it was something, the, the quote from the professor was something like, uh, this idea will never work at scale or something like that, right? So my point is, even smart people will have bad advice. But you also need to look for people who are willing to challenge you. Oh, yeah. And, and be open to constructive criticism. And when people you trust are listening and not trying to cut you down, but saying, you know what, there's a flaw in your business model, there's a flaw in your strategy, you should probably listen. Yeah, yeah. No, I agree with you. And and in fact, I was reading day before yesterday, uh, the guy who founded uh, Ring, which was acquired by Google for $1 billion, he actually pitched his idea at Shark Tank in U.S., and that time his company name was something like Darnob or something. And he asking for 700,000 for 10% equity. And uh, and they rejected his idea. They said like, oh, it's crazy. Who want to put camera on their doorknob? Uh, nobody would like to do that. 
and later he renamed it as Ring and sold it to Google for one billion dollars. So sometimes the smartest people can't even think how the world is going to change. So you need to be a bit totally. lucky to find out. Now my last question is: if you and 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 probably your wife will be happy to to know the answer <laughs> of this question is: if you could clone yourself, what would you like your clone to do? Wow. I don't think you want them to to do the blockchain again. <laughs> what could I have could I clone myself so that they could listen to 24 hours a day podcasts so then they uh. could then <laughs> insert all the knowledge into my head after they finish listening? Um well, honestly, I think if I could clone myself and and appreciate the experience of both people simultaneously, I would have one person working 24 hours to build Wheelcoin and IMOB and the other person spending 24 hours with quality time with my family, my kids, and my mountain bike. That's probably what I would do. <laughs> I wish we can we can do that, but but good to see that you you for you the work and the family are are equally important and you want to do that so thank you so much Boyd. uh really always have fun to chat with you and learn more about it and wish you good luck with this three point project because i see a lot of potential and your vision of creating this global community of uh, global advocate for public transport and green mobility so thank you so much and i wish you good luck thank you so if you want i'll just Thank you for listening to this podcast. We'll be inviting some other inspiring guests in the coming week. You can subscribe to this podcast online to get the notification for the next episode. If you like this podcast, please don't forget to give us a five-star rating as it will help us to spread our message. If you have any feedback or suggestion for this podcast, please do write to us at info at the rate mobility-innovators.com. I look forward to see you next time. Thank you.